Coming up on Stew Does America, we're on the cusp of deciding the future of the Senate. But can conservatives pull it off in Georgia amongst a myriad of dirty liberal tactics? Eric Erickson joins us from Georgia with his thoughts. And I know you missed bashing Andrew Cuomo along with me over a holiday break. So we'll hit a couple of stories that show he really is making a push for the douchiest douche that ever douched. Be uh, sure to watch, of course, uh, to this show whenever you can for free. However you want, head to YouTube and search my name, Stu. I will be the first channel there, I promise. And you can subscribe and hit the bell for notifications when we post. Check out the podcast as well. Head to your iTunes or your favorite provider, wherever you go. And be sure to leave a five-star rating and review. You can find links to all this stuff at stewdoesamerica.com or get the show and the great of uh, the rest of this great content uh, from uh, our wonderful conservative network, uh, Blaze TV. Just head to blazetv.com slash stew. Be sure to use the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show. And you'll save 10 bucks. Okay, I know Christmas tends to mess with our lives a little bit and our schedules. So in case you forgot, there's a teensy-weensy little runoff election happening tomorrow in Georgia. You might be interested in it. We'll give you the latest tonight as we do Ossoff and Warnock. Stu does America. Welcome back, everyone. It's a new year. Aren't you glad we got rid of that crappy 2020? Now we can be rescued by a completely arbitrary date on the calendar. 2021! Yay! We have no choice but to jump right back into the swamp as we are about to witness the most important election in American history since the last election. The Georgia Senate runoff is happening tomorrow. In case you don't follow such things or are trying to forget them, currently the Republicans have 50 seats in the Senate. That is enough for them to accomplish absolutely nothing. Republicans need to get one of these two races in Georgia to get control, and that's incredibly important. Now, will they get a lot of free market reforms passed? Uh, No. Will they do anything positive? Eh, Probably not. But 2021 isn't about having nice things. It's about doing as much as you can to limit the disaster. As an Eagles fan watching the game last night, you know I know something about that. Right now, the polls are telling us something very, very clear in Georgia. They have no freaking idea what's about to happen. Too often, people translate polls as if they're going to give us an exact vote total. That is not how this works. In one race, John Ossoff is facing David Perdue. Polling average has Ossoff up 49.3% to 47.9%, according to 538. That's just a toss-up. In the other race, much of the same. The Democrat Warnock leads Republican Kelly Leffler by two points. Again, basically a toss-up. So who are these two Democrats? John Ossoff is sort of the profile of Beto O'Rourke. Beto was supposed to be a younger, new generation of candidate. People say he's handsome and Kennedy-esque. He raised a ton of money for a high-profile race, which, of course, he wound up losing in disgrace. And like Beto and Stacey Abrams and so many others, the Democrats take their lovable loser and elevate them to a bigger platform. It's like looking for a major league center fielder and getting excited about some guy in double-A hitting 185. Ossoff raised tons of cash and his 2017 race was the most expensive in the history of the House. It was also almost all money from outside of Georgia. And Ossoff turned all of that outside cash into a three-point loss, instantly qualifying him to run for higher office. Ossoff doesn't come off as, you know, like an AOC, where he's bragging about his socialist street cred. He's a decent, 
if boring, communicator that, you know, he tries to sell his left-wing policies in a way that makes them palatable to swing voters. For example, when he talks about spending money, he says things like this, quote, I'll support a historic infrastructure plan that includes massive investments in clean energy, energy efficiency, and environmental protection. Okay, well, you know, sure, he's talking about the environment, but, I mean, even Trump wanted an infrastructure plan, right? Well, the historic infrastructure plan he's talking about is also known as the Green New Deal. He's not calling it the Green New Deal. He says he's not for Medicare for All either, but he's got the endorsement from the group Demand Universal Healthcare, whose acronym is, and I kid you not on this, duh. <laughs> I mean, it's true. The Demand Universal Healthcare, duh. And to be fair, duh doesn't actually want Medicare for all. The group, duh, says they want something more expansive. Duh. It's not a bad slogan for us off, though. I mean... If most of your sentences start with, duh, then you need John Ossoff to be your senator. And the other race is Raphael Warnock. This is not Beto 2.0. This is Jeremiah Wright 2.0. And you might say I'm disparaging Warnock by saying that. But you know who wouldn't feel that way? Raphael Warnock. Here he is doing his best Jeremiah Wright impression. And if it is true that... A man who has dominated the news and poisoned the discussion for months needs to repent. Then it is doubly true that a nation that can produce such a man and make his vitriol go viral needs to repent. Mm -hmm. uh, what are you saying exactly, though? I don't. No matter what happens next month, more than a third of the nation that would go along with this is reason to be afraid. Oh, okay. America needs to repent. For its worship of whiteness. Ah, I hate when people worship their whiteness. It is the worst thing that I never notice happening. I know I always do that. I always am worshiping my whiteness, and that's a problem. And I'm not just speculating that he likes Jeremiah Wright because they routinely say the same stuff. Warnock was educated at the Union Theology Seminary in New York City. His mentor, his words, mentor, was Dr. James Halcone. Cohn was one of the main minds behind black liberation theology, the foundation behind the teachings of Reverend Jeremiah Wright. Cohn is responsible for such deep thoughts as, quote, if God is white, kill God. Okay. He also said while Christians uh, are a satanic, if they're white, of course, and spoke about the need for the, quote, destruction of everything white. He also said, quote, there will be no peace in America until white people begin to hate their whiteness, asking from the depths of their being, how can we become black? If that doesn't sound like the modern day white fragility and anti-racist movements, I don't know what does. And allow me to give you a bit of a classic content warning for one of Jeremiah Wright's greatest hits. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God bless America. No, no, no. Not God bless America. God damn America. That's in the Bible for killing innocent people. God damn America for treating our citizens as less than human. God damn America. Ah, he's in Bible country. Don't forget. Ah, the hellish memories of Jeremiah Wright. Well, in 2014, 
when Oprah and even Obama had long denounced Jeremiah Wright, Warnock was still fully on the bandwagon. Speaking about the GD America sermon, he said, quote, you ought to go back and see if you can find and read, as I have, the entire sermon. It was a very fine sermon. You have to love the go back and get the context argument coming from the side of the aisle who invented cancel culture. And speaking of that, remember when simply an accusation of domestic abuse used to get you fired? Remember when we believed all women? I do. Those were the days way back like a few months ago. Well, that's apparently uh, out the window now. Warnock had a little issue with his then wife, now ex-wife, who accused him of running over her foot with his car. He knew that he ran over your foot. This man's running for the United States Senate, and all he cares about right now is his reputation. I work at the mayor's office, and this is a big problem. I've been trying to be very quiet about the way that he is for the sake of my kids and his reputation. I've tried to keep the way that he acts under wraps for a long time, and today he crossed the line. So that is what is going on here, and he's a great actor. He is phenomenal at putting on a really good show. Do you believe her? Trick question, of course. You are required to believe her. Unless the guy's running for Senate, I think, is the way this rule works. I don't even know anymore. Look, I probably don't have to convince you that both Ossoff and Warnock would be horrible senators. In a city filled with terrible politicians, they would be living the intersection of crappy lane and douchey boulevard. But there are people out there who like Donald Trump, who are not voting for the Republicans in this race because they don't like what happened in the presidential election and in the aftermath. These theories are being pushed by lifelong Democratic donors who just might have another motive. I get that a lot of people are pissed off, but you don't send a message of disapproval to Democrats by electing them to the Senate. Just like when groups who claim to be Republicans spent zillions of dollars opposing Amy Coney Barrett with the justification, oh, they just didn't like Trump. None of this makes any sense. These theories are bizarre. If you like Donald Trump, listen to him on the Senate race in Georgia. He doesn't say sit it out and protest and send a message. He says vote for the Republican candidates, Purdue and Leffler. For the worst consequences, the Democrats need to sweep these races. But that is not an unlikely outcome. It's at least 50-50. And if it happens, the vast majority of the crazy tweets from AOC have a real chance at becoming the policy of this country. Do you really want the Democrats in complete control of the government? Because if you want that, you can have it. I just doubt that you want it. It's only the beginning of January. Let's not create a situation where we're already begging for 2021 to end. We're all looking for ways to save money, especially right now. I mean, in the middle of all this, how would you like to keep an extra $961 a year in your pocket? That's how much Gabby customers save per year on average on car and home insurance. That's a lot of cash. That's why uh, when I was shopping for insurance, I used Gabby. Uh, Gabby takes the pain out of shopping for insurance by giving you an apples-to-apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers like Progressive, Nationwide, Travelers. There's a ton of them. They're all names that you know. Just link your current insurance account, and then all you have to do is uh, kind of look at what they provide. Because what I really like about Gabby is it's not like – 
here's your insurance plan, and here's one that's kind of similar that costs a little bit less, and it's hard for you. I mean, I'm not an insurance expert. I don't know how to freaking compare the pros and cons of these policies, uh, at least in some sort of high-level depth. I'm not going to sit down with an actuarial table and figure the whole thing out. Well, Gabby takes your exact coverage, the exact coverage you already have, and matches it up on all these companies and shows you where you can save money. If they can't find you savings, uh, then you, they're going to let you know. Hey, you have the best rate. Congratulations. You're, you're super impressive. Okay. Um, that's what happened to me. That's what people say to me all the time, that I'm super impressive. And it can happen to you as well. Plus, no spam, no robocalls. They're going to take care of you. You're probably overpaying on a car and home insurance. It is very, very common. See how much Gabby can save you. It's totally free to check out. There's no obligation. It's a very quick process. G-A-B-I dot com slash stew. Gabby dot com slash stew. Make sure to use the slash stew part of the address because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Gabby dot com slash stew. All right, we have the two big Senate elections coming up in Georgia uh, tomorrow. Uh, I'm joined now by the host of the Eric Erickson Show, the one and only Eric Erickson. Nobody knows Georgia like Eric Erickson. Thanks for coming on the program, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Sorry I'm not all dressed up for you tonight. i got to run to a school program as soon as we're done. <laughs> <laughs> no problem, no problem. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not even wearing – I'm just wearing boxers, so it, <laughs> I'm totally fine. Um, Eric, uh, this is uh, – it's an interesting race because we are – it feels like – a presidential race like it feels like a national election tomorrow obviously the, the 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 consequences here are huge particularly if the democrats can pull off one of these two or both of these two races can you kind of give us an outline for for people who don't follow georgia politics on an everyday basis who are these two uh, candidates on the democratic side yeah it, so Raphael warnock is the uh, pastor at ebenezer baptist church in atlanta that was martin luther king jr's church uh, he's a very progressive a social gospel pastor. Uh, he's been very popular with the left in Atlanta, organizing for years for Democratic causes. John Ossoff ran in the special election in 2017 after President Trump appointed Congressman Tom Price to be Health and Human Services Secretary. John Ossoff ran in the 6th Congressional District, got a lot of Hollywood money, uh, progressive attention. It was uh, about a 21-person race. He made it into a runoff against uh, Karen Handel, who ultimately won, but he had a huge stockpile of money uh, that he's held on to, he's continued to organize, now he's running around the state. Uh, he's actually singularly, spectacularly unaccomplished, unlike like Warnock. Uh, he doesn't play well with black voters in South Georgia, uh, who uh, the black farming community is actually very supportive of David Perdue. It's been very interesting. Ossoff has spent his time in the last two weeks attacking Kelly Leffler, who he's not running against. He's running against David Perdue. Warnock's running against Leffler. And that's kind of been a sign to people thinking maybe he knows he's not going to beat Perdue and maybe he's trying to help Warnock against Leffler. Yeah, it's interesting. You wrote a piece uh, called A Note to National Reporters Covering Georgia's Runoff. You can get uh, Eric's writings uh, at, on a substack, ewerickson.substack.com. Um, and you you bring this up, which is it is it is very true that national reporters jump into these races and they don't know the, the lay of the land. They don't understand, you know, the, the nuances of these elections that aren't national elections. They're local elections. Um, and so a lot, I've heard a lot of talk about how early votes look good for Democrats because the black turnout is high. Uh, first of all, is that true? And second of all, how does that apply to these two very different candidates? Well, so first of all, you know, the general election and the runoff, they're different. So there's an apples to oranges comparison here. But when you actually look at who is voting, yes, the Democrats did very, very well in, in early voting. But what they did is they got people who normally vote on election day to vote early. Mm -hmm. So they didn't expand the pool of voters. They just shifted them earlier, which tells the Republicans actually how many people they need on election day. 
Republicans can turn off. It can turn out and do well if they turn out tomorrow. Now, the the thing you've got to understand about these candidates, though, is that John Ossoff got 100,000 votes less than Joe Biden. And David Perdue got about 1,000 votes more than Donald Trump. And the answer comes for that discrepancy in North Georgia. Uh, call them 401k voters. They're not really Republican or Democrat. They just don't want you to hurt their 401k. They went for David Perdue, uh, typically white, uh, high-income earners. Then in South Georgia, black voters either didn't vote in that race at all or they voted for David Perdue. There are actually a number of precincts in the South Georgia area where Joe Biden won the precinct and David Perdue won the precinct, and they're majority-minority precincts, which tells me – uh, that contrary to the national media that thinks everyone's just going to go, oh, Democrat, 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 or Republican, Republican, what you're actually going to have is people making a conscious choice of, I don't really like this guy, I'm going to vote for the other guy. It's been my impression, kind of looking at this race from afar a little bit, that Purdue seems to be a candidate that perhaps is stronger than Leffler. Is that uh, is that the accurate uh, picture of this race? Uh, because, you know, it's it, there's been a lot of attacking of Leffler from a national perspective, and it seems like Purdue avoids most of it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. He is a stronger candidate because he actually has campaigned. She was thrown into this. She was picked by the governor back in January to replace Johnny Isaacson. Uh, the Republican establishment in Georgia didn't really like her as a pick. They rallied around Doug Collins. She spent a lot of money and beat him. She does come across on the campaign trail much more stiff, uh, more cautious than David Perdue, less relatable than Purdue. I mean, Purdue for, is he grew up in middle Georgia. His parents were middle class school teachers. He connects very well with uh, blue collar middle class voters. Uh, Kelly Leffler is from a farm in, uh, I believe, uh, uh, southern Illinois. She transplanted into the state, became very, very wealthy. Um, it does not have a lot of ties to South, the South Georgia community. So it's taken her some time, but she's gotten out on the campaign trail, and she is really uh, – a lot of people just kind of expected she would try to buy the race, but she actually really did get involved in causes around the state. She's really gotten to know the state. So, yes, she's more vulnerable. Yes, she's less the gregarious, uh, glad-handing politician than David Perdue, but also she's got a lot of money, has spent a lot of time, and has a great team around her. Yeah, it's interesting, it's interesting. To, to watch this race sort of develop in that, like, when Leffler gets uh, appointed, there was a lot of pressure from Trump in the White House to go with Collins. Um, and then they wind up going up against each other and she wins, which, you know, may have surprised, uh, you know, people, uh, especially big Trump supporters around the country, that Collins wouldn't be able to defeat her when they were, you know, going up against each other. Um, you know, and then we, 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 we advance now to this period here, which has been a uniquely weird uh, period between the election and this runoff where you have people like Lynn Wood running around Georgia telling people, Republicans, not to vote, telling them to avoid voting because you can't send a message. I, don't, I honestly can't even track what this guy is trying to tell us at this point. Can you walk us through this insanity? I'm not sure I can. And keep in mind, he's a Democrat. Uh, mm -hmm. he, he voted in the Stacey Abrams uh, primary in 2018. He didn't vote even in the president's uh, presidential primary in Georgia in 2016. He voted for Barack Obama multiple times, gave him money. Uh, so you've got a guy who actually has a, a career of giving a habit of giving to Democrats, supporting Democratic candidates, telling Republicans not to go vote. And, and the Lincoln Project now picking up his tweets, trying to encourage Republicans not to vote. His conspiracy theory seems to be that Brad Raffensperger's brother works for China, which isn't true, and that Brian Kemp is getting money from China, which isn't true, and that the Dominion voter machines were somehow 
able to print ballots that showed you who you voted for, but then would count them for someone else when they did a hand count. That turned out not to be the case. Uh, he's just kind of at this point throwing stuff out there. And it's it's he's I don't know if he's got mental issues or what, but there's something going on with that guy. Because he's not just some random guy, right? Yes, he's a Democrat, but he's an accomplished attorney, certainly in celebrity attorney circles, right? Like he's been involved in pretty much every major case that you've seen on headline news for the past 20 years. And, uh, you know, he is just throwing, I mean, you know, accusing John Roberts of all sorts of various crimes. Uh, And it just strikes me as fundamentally, here is a guy who's donated to Democrats his entire life, who's encouraging actively Republicans to not vote for Republicans so that Democrats can have complete control of the government. Like this doesn't seem like an exactly a complicated equation here. Uh, But I mean, is is any of this going to work? Is this going to affect Georgia voters? You know, I I think the president has a bigger opportunity to affect the vote than anyone else. He's coming into the state tonight, nine o'clock for rally. The vice president was here at noon today, uh, Joe Biden in between them. But the president's going to North Georgia. That is the area of the state that is most Republican, but also the part of the state that has the lowest turnout among Republicans. It's the part of the state where the local leaders have been most vocal. The election was stolen. So they've kind of suppressed themselves. If he goes to North Georgia tonight and says, you got to go vote tomorrow to preserve my legacy, Every Republican up there is going to go vote, and Republicans in the state still have the numbers. What what the national media has ignored is that when you take the legislative races in Georgia, Republicans got 51% of all the congressional vote cast, 53% of the state House vote cast, 54% of the state Senate vote cast. They, they've got the numbers if they just turn out tomorrow. Did you get the sense that uh, – because, I mean, it seems like Republicans uh, around the country in many places outperformed Trump a little bit when it comes down to Senate races and, and, and congressional races. Um, was that the case in, in Georgia? And, and do you expect those people to kind of come back out and say, look, I might now have, may not have liked Trump in the, in the presidential election, but I don't want to hand complete control to the Democrats? Yeah, I saw some exit polling that 80 percent of voters in Georgia, regardless of party, supported divided government. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, of course, Democrats, now that they've won the White House, they'll, they'll change on that number. Republicans, though, and independent voters like divided government. And, yeah, it was a, a, an example here in Georgia of why I don't think the election was actually stolen in Georgia. Uh, David Perdue got more votes than Donald Trump. Kelly Leffler, Doug Collins and the right of center candidates combined in that race got 53 percent of the vote. Uh, Republicans actually did very well in Georgia. The, the Georgia Republicans actually expected to lose about a dozen seats in the state legislature. They lost two, but also defeated the uh, Democratic leader in the state house in Georgia. They did quite well. So, what's the reason for for that? Is it one of those things where people are just like annoyed with Trump being on television all the time? They don't like his attitude. What, what was the reason? Yeah, yeah. When you actually when you dive into the voters, and it was a, a phenomenon up in the North Metro area among professional white collar Republican voters, uh, and overwhelmingly, what you would find, particularly after that first debate uh, between the president Joe Biden, there was a real shift in the polling in Georgia against the president, and a lot of it came down to what I, I've stopped calling them Republican voters. I call them four hundred one k voters. They really just want whoever they think is going to be the one to least disruptive to their 401k. Hmm. And they concluded that Joe Biden and the Republicans elsewhere would be the ones most likely to preserve their 401k. Uh, OK, so uh, okay. we've got about a minute left. Uh, just all you have to do now is just tell me exactly what's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> you know, if I had to call it, uh, as I was talking to a friend of mine who, who said his heart says, my heart says uh, the Republicans win both. My head says David Perdue wins, and Kelly Leffler is going to be in a fight. It's going to be very close in that one. I still think she can pull it off. 
I think Purdue probably has it for sure, and hers is the toss-up. All right. Uh, Eric, they only need to win one to control the Senate, so that's a big deal. I could be completely wrong, but but I just – the black vote in South Georgia doesn't like John Ossoff, and they do like David Purdue because he's been huge for the farming community. Well, I want it to happen, so I'm just going to blindly believe you. Eric Erickson, uh, thank you so much. He knows Georgia better than anybody and you know is great on all the topics, political and otherwise. Uh, make sure to, to follow him on all the social media, the Eric Erickson Show. And it's uh, ewerickson.substack.com. Eric, thanks so much for coming on the program, man. Thank you. All right. Back in a second. So as we go through the next week, we have the Georgia election tomorrow. Now, we're going to have live coverage here on Blaze TV uh, going on for extra time uh, beyond our normal one hour period to con- to talk about the results and what's going on in Georgia. So that's going to be pretty good. Uh, make sure you come here tomorrow for that coverage. Um, and uh, then the next day, we kind of roll into January 6th, which has been a big date as far as the electoral votes and all of the election stuff. If you're following that closely, there's a lot going on there. One thing that does not get reported, there's this right now, this idea that the Republicans are going to step up and say, we are going to reject uh, these results in certain states because they, they don't like the, the, the fraud accusations. They don't feel like they've been fully uh, looked at. And they want to have a delay for about 10 more days. Uh, the Constitution is very clear. January 20th is the date for the president. Uh, it's, you know, one of the few dates written in the Constitution. So it is uh, one of those things that's going to be a tough uh, situation to move. However, they're looking for another 10 days. We can talk about that in a little bit. But one of the things that's interesting here is this has happened before. This is not some new thing. Uh, Republicans have had a situation. In fact, every single time they get somebody elected since the year 2000, Democrats have opposed uh, some states and certifying those states. Now, 2000, you might be kind of familiar with that whole uh, situation with Al Gore. uh, But even after Gore had conceded, Democrats said, no, 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 no. We don't believe these results. All right. There's no senators who did it. However, in 2004, when George W. Bush was reelected, both people in the House and in the Senate uh, on the Democratic side said, no, we don't believe these results. I mean, some of these headlines. um, I mean, do you remember these Mother Jones recounting the election? Was Ohio stolen? New York Times glitch found in Ohio counting. Uh, National Election Defense Coalition. Partisan technology firm is implicated in John Kerry's implausible loss in Ohio in 2004. NBC News. uh, Machine glitch gave Bush extra Ohio votes. This is a big conspiracy uh, theory that was going on in the 2004 election. Uh, If you go back that far, you remember it. I mean, it was the big uh, the big uh, thing of the day. Uh, It was that George Bush, uh, because he Ohio was the, uh, the determinative state that year. And so they complained, even though he won, uh, Bush won by, I think it was something like 50 or 60,000 votes, that, uh, that the machines changed the vote. Very, uh, you know, indicative of what the, or, uh, of what uh, Republicans would later uh, claim and that Democrats would later dismiss as crazy. Um, and then in 2016, again, with Trump, they, uh, they opposed it once again. And uh, now we're in 2020, and they seem like this is like the craziest thing ever. I can't believe anyone would oppose this. I think there's 11 or 12 senators who are on the Republican side who are going to oppose um, uh, certifying some of these results. Uh, there's a bunch, I mean, over 100 in the Democratic side. So it is important to note that the scale is larger in 2020 than it was back in 2016, 2004, or 2000. But this has been a common occurrence of every election, certainly that Republicans win in recent history. Stepping back from this election for a second, though, we should, like, I, you know, I'm a big fan of the Constitution, big, big supporter of it. 
Love the document. Perhaps we should talk about amending it a little bit here, though, because what we're looking at now, whether you believe these uh, the fraud allegations of the Democrats back in the day or the Republicans today, we have a, a, a system that literally, if you have the majority of the House and the Senate, can just overrule the election if they feel like it. Now, that's not how the system is designed to work. It's not like, you know, it's been largely a ceremonial role. Uh, It has not been something that has been utilized very often. But basically, if the Republicans, let's say, let's say, let's say uh, 2000, Joe Biden goes in in 2020. We come back in 2025 uh, and the Democrats have control of both houses, you know, House and Senate. All they need is a majority of the House and the Senate, and they can just vote to get rid of whatever electoral votes that they want, like straight partisanship. And while you might think this time this is a great idea, I think after this one, we should kind of come back to this and say, hey, maybe we should up that to like a super majority. Maybe it should be the same sort of standard uh, that the states uh, would have to go through to amend the Constitution in the first place. Maybe, I don't know, 67 votes in the Senate, a little more realistic. I mean, this should be something that is only only if it's really obvious. It should not be able to be done on partisan grounds. Just because you happen to hold both the House and the Senate, you can overturn the election. I mean, that again, you might think this time it's a great idea. And if you're a Democrat, you might think in 2004 it was a great idea. But like this isn't a great idea. We can see how this would be manipulated in a situation where the fraud claims weren't legitimate. Uh, If you don't like the the way that these things are coming in, it's a scary sort of prospect and it's not difficult to do. Again, just a majority of the House and Senate and you could throw away every American's votes. Now, it's not hasn't happened. I don't think it's incredibly likely to happen, but it could happen. And it does seem like something that maybe we should look into uh, upping the sort of uh, overwhelming, you know, you want to up it to like an overwhelming majority. You want the supermajority situation going on. I don't know. That's my call. Maybe we talk about this after this election because I don't know that people really want to talk about it right now. But you could see how the Democrats would use this, right? I mean, if they get in control of both, do the Republicans ever get a chance to even get a president in office again? I don't know. It's an interesting uh, little quirk in the system that I don't think a lot of people were up on until now. Um, By the way, uh, another thing that you probably did not know about, because you are not an elitist. You are not an elitist like our politicians who are in Washington. They're more sophisticated than you. Have you watched them on Zoom? They're talking to the camera. They're in their houses. They're very beautiful houses with lots of space and lots of of depth behind their shots. You're like, wow, how on earth can they be doing so well? Uh, You know, and I will say, you know, we've had Steve Krakauer on the show uh, before. He's uh, he works with Megyn Kelly. And uh, he was talking about um, about this this uh, rate my room rate the Skype room uh, account. I can't remember that exactly what it's called, but it's basically like once the Skype thing came out, it's kind of a funny idea to like a, a TV guy looking at uh, everyone's rooms uh, that they're broadcasting from on Skype and, and kind of rating the backgrounds. Here's what you should fix. Turn that lamp on. Maybe fix those books. They're crooked. Uh, there's a cord showing all these things that are just and it was kind of like a funny thing at first kind of morphed into this this sort of partisan thing as well. But. What's really strange is it's turned into this thing that people really think about. Like they're doing a Skype hit talking about something and they get freaked out. They're going to get a bad rating from this Twitter account. This is what elites in D.C. are thinking about these days. So they have come up with a solution 
Because, you know, you got a, a nice bookcase behind you. Maybe it's a little sparse. Maybe there's just some like Archie comic books in it and you don't really have a lot of deep intellectual reading. There are now services, according to Politico, um, Book by the Foot, a Maryland bookseller, will use their warehouse of books to create literary scenery in various locations so you can look like you're super duper smart and read lots of the books. I read lots of damn books every night and I want people to know how many books I have. Look behind me. All the books are there. And then they're not even their books. They've bought them in bulk, so it looks like they're smarter than they are. That, first of all, it's disgraceful. Second of all, really pissed off I didn't think of the idea. I mean, that's, that's capitalism at its best. Uh, New York has not uh, gift, gived out, uh, gived out. See, I read all the books. I gived out all the books. New York has not given out uh, any uh, we're close to what they said they were going to give out when it comes to the vaccine. Now, this is interesting, mainly because of Andrew Cuomo, who is awful. Andrew Cuomo is awful. Com. Andrew Cuomo uh, is, is in this weird, like, frantic state. He has a major issue going on in his life, which is basically the idea that, hey, you know, I wrote a book about how great I am and how wonderful I've been handling the coronavirus. We can't have cases go up. So basically, he wants to lock everybody in prison until uh, everyone forgets and maybe the vaccine solves this. Now he's having this issue where he's concerned that evil, probably white, probably wealthy, probably Republicans will cut the line and get their vaccine before let's say, uh, essential workers or nursing home inhabitants. Now, of course, he famously killed off about half the uh, population of nursing homes because of his terrible policies. But here is a situation where he's decided to try to find um, establishments that are giving out vaccines up to like a million dollars if they give one out of order. If they give it to you, you evil 30-year-old rich Republican, if you get that, uh, then the place that gave it to you will get fined a million dollars. This has some interesting side effects, of course. Number one, who the hell would want to give out any vaccines? If you make a mistake, you're going to get fined a million dollars. Number two, if, if you have, what if you have like um, uh, vaccines that someone doesn't show up and maybe they're going to go bad, right? Don't you want to give them to somebody instead of just, you know, throwing them away? Well, with this fine, you know, regime, you might just want to throw them away. Of course, to cover that one, what is what is Cuomo doing? He's going to fine you if you throw them away. So basically, why would you want to give out vaccines in New York? Because if you're if you're doing that, you have a really good chance of getting fined. Um, it's you know, and he's been bashing uh, the federal government for not handling the vaccine uh, situation well when the entire time he hasn't given away. What is it? Two two thirds of the vaccines. Uh, Cuomo has not distributed. Um, also, just to give you another little Andrew Cuomo is awful dot com uh, hypocrisy news. We all know the playoffs are coming up in the NFL. I can give you a rant on that with the Eagles. Uh, that would probably run three times the amount of the time we have left on the show. Uh, but uh, the the Buffalo Bills have made the playoffs uh, and they are going to finally open up some stadium access to the Buffalo Bills. Guess who's going? Shockingly enough, Andrew Cuomo is going to go to the game. Now, he's blocked out people from every single uh, game this year uh, uh, in the Bills stadium. Um, but look, he really wants to go. So you don't get to go. You might be a lifelong Bills fan. You might be excited about the season. 
but Andrew Cuomo is going to be able to go. I believe the capacity is like something like 3,000. There's not a lot of 7,000. 7,000 fans, of course, including Andrew Cuomo, who is awful.com. My good faith efforts at de-escalation yeah. have been met with ongoing violence <gasps> and even scorn. What? From radical Antifa huh? and anarchists. No. In response, yeah. it will be necessary to use additional tools and to push the limits of the tools we already have oh. to bring the criminal destruction and violence to an end. Ah, okay, got it. Lawlessness and ar- anarchy. Mm-hmm. Come at great expense, yeah, and with great risk We've been to the future yeah. of our community. Mm-hmm. We noticed that it's yeah. time to push back harder mm. against those who are set on destroying our community, and to take more risks in fighting lawlessness. Didn't know Peyton Manning was mayor of Portland, but apparently he is. Uh, that is a remarkable statement. You have people doing meth in every bathroom of a Panera Bread for the last two and a half years. And you're like, now's the time we're going to step up. We've sure we've been lighting every business on fire and terrorizing people in their homes for the past couple of years. But you know what? Gosh darn it. My good faith efforts aren't connecting. And weren't we told like a thousand times that the Antifa thing was just a myth? That we were making it up because we wanted to win an election or we were having right wing fever dreams. Now the mayor of Portland is on board on this unfreaking believable yeah, the, I guess, you know, they've, they've run out of use for Antifa uh, now that they've uh, gone through the election process. They no longer have to tolerate this nonsense. Quite amazing to see it in action and so hypocritically applied. This is just absolutely amazing. In Dallas, uh, where we are, we have a new uh, statement that was rescinded almost immediately. I don't know why. Uh, It said the Dallas Police Department has learned that there's an internal memorandum forwarded to staff members at the 911 call center uh, regarding uh, recommendations to divert priority four calls to the Dallas online reporting system. Um, Although conversations have been held on this topic, the memorandum was sent prematurely. The department is still in the evaluation phase of this uh, item. Um, Well, what are these uh, priority four? What what are we talking about there? Basically, they're not going to come out and and, and address these priority four calls. That was at least the proposal. Um, Well, it said in most cases, police officers would not be dispatched to certain types of of calls. These priority four calls like car thefts. Criminal mischief and child custody disputes. I I feel like you really need people at those things. Criminal mischief, car theft, and child custody disputes, among other things. Uh, They've pulled this back. Of course, they'll probably just put it through and not mistakenly release it next time, so you just won't know. And I'll be like, hey, my car's gone. Can you guys come? And they'll say, like, sure, we'll be right there. And no one ever shows. And what happens? I become stranded. I have to live life in the city. I'm now uh, homeless. And I wind up doing meth in a bathroom of a Panera Bread. That's how this always ends. And I'm, I'm a victim of this situation. Also, in Boston... A statue has been removed. It's made people uh, uncomfortable. And we don't want that in our society. I never want to see another uncomfortable person. That is totally unacceptable. 
This one, of course, a statue of Abraham Lincoln, because you know how you know how uncomfortable Abraham Lincoln can make people feel. Now, I will say this. Actually, in reality, Abraham Lincoln at his time made people very uncomfortable. He was he made a lot of recommendations about, I don't know, not owning black people anymore that people were not completely embracing at the time. There's a little thing we had called the Civil War, which is a giant collection of people being uncomfortable. No one was comfortable during the Civil War. They were fighting against each other because they really thought the other guy's policies made them feel uncomfortable. It's okay to feel uncomfortable. Maybe your views should be challenged enough to the point that you feel uncomfortable from time to time. If you're no good at being uncomfortable, you can't stop saying exactly the same. That's the way the poetry goes. And I will say that like, there is a, there's a deep part in our society that it just wants to get rid of all levels of uncomfortability. It's not going to happen, nor should it happen. If it does happen, our society is not only not, no longer advancing because they never have to ask themselves an uncomfortable question, but they are also very boring. A very boring society is the result of never asking an uncomfortable question. It's okay to be uncomfortable every once in a while. You shouldn't have all of your thoughts you know, given back to you in perfect agreement every second. I know, I never want to listen. I don't want to listen to a show or a podcast that just agrees with me all the time. I want somebody who is going to challenge me. And if they're, you know, if they're not going to challenge me, what am I doing with myself? I can think my own thoughts myself. I don't need someone else to try to work through those. I want someone who's going to occasionally challenge me to look at something and say, maybe you're thinking about this the wrong way. That's okay. It's certainly what we used to want. Now, even the guy who freed the slaves is making people too uncomfortable to continue existing. I don't know who's, who Abraham Lincoln is making uncomfortable at this point. You know what it is? I'll tell you. It's racists. Racists like the people who are involved in the white fragility movement, who are involved in the anti-racist movement, the Ibram Kendi type, uh, type of stuff, it's, and, and the KKK, right? It's those types. You know, uh, all, the alt-right and uh, white fragility. Those are the people that are uncomfortable you know what? I don't mind making either one of those groups uncomfortable. Back in a second. All right. If you made it this far in the show, you're one of the cool kids. Congratulations. The only way to appropriately put shame on all of the others is to click like now. If you happen to be watching on YouTube or subscribe and do all the fun things. By the way, stewdoesmerch.com is where you can get all your Stew Does America merchandise that I know you will love, including fabulous mugs like Andrew Cuomo was awful. Uh, and uh, what else? Oh, blazetv.com slash stew. Promo code is stew to get your uh, subscription. Tanya Roberts, before we go, I uh, need to tell you this story. Tanya Roberts, actress. She was in that 70s show. She was in... Um, the, one of the most underrated Bond movies, A View to a Kill, um, has passed away. At least that's what the hospital told her husband and what her husband told her agent and what her agent told the media. So everyone thought she was dead. Well, a little bit later on, get a little call from the hospital. Oh, by the way, totally alive. So congratulations to Tanya Roberts, not dead. She somehow survived that incredible incident with uh, Max Zorin in A View to a Kill which, of course, is one of the greatest Bond movies ever. Number one, Duran Duran, best, best song ever in a Bond. Screw you, Adele. Simon Le bon, much better. And also, I will say, his plan, Max Zorn's plan in A View to a Kill, was to set off bombs underneath the earth to flood Silicon Valley and wipe it out. Think of all the problems that would have solved. 
No Facebook, no Twitter, no Google, nothing. Ah, if only it had worked back in the 80s. We'll see you tomorrow.